Don't you get bored doing the same thing no. all the time? You're talking to a guy who's worked in the same industry for 20 years. Okay. You see, I think we're just constitutionally I, It took me. I've been writing the same novel for 10. Yeah, that's true. You just get... You're like a dog that won't let go yeah. of a bone. It's like, yeah. this is my bone. Yeah. There may be other bones out there, but this is the one I got. Fuck those By bones. God, I'm hanging on to that's it. That's right. Right? The known bone. The is known the good bone. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I, I like all those other bones. <laughs> yep, that's right. I'm always thinking about the next bone. <laughs> Hello, this is The End of All Things with Rob Cutforth and Kate Feld. Hello. Hello, Kate Feld. Hello, Rob Cutforth. What have you been doing today? Um, I did some writing. Mm-hmm. Exciting. See, this is good. You're not, you didn't tell me about your run. I did go running, but I didn't mention it. I know. Right? Yes, exactly. I'm learning. Yeah. So I did some writing. Mm-hmm. Um, had some meetings, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did some walking around town in a hurry. Yeah. Um, you know, I was really looking forward to this podcast because I was very keen to rub it in your face how good Canada are doing in the Winter Olympics and how bad America are doing. And then you guys had your biggest day ever today. Did we? beat Canada in curling and fucking hockey, our two sports. <gasps> we beat you in hockey? Yeah. I didn't even know this. You did. Oh my God. It's devastating. And I'm, I don't know whether I am happy about, even though we're still like marginally ahead of you in the medal table, I'm just really annoyed. So wait a minute. We're, are we going to get like a gold medal for you ice gotta, hockey? No. Yes. Women's ice hockey, you got gold. No way! Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, you got gold. That's so well great. done. Great for good for you. And you knocked us out of the curling, and your boys are going to the gold medal final. Curling, like our one thing. You can't let us have anything, you bloody Americans. Cur- Winter Olympics are our one Listen, thing. Listen, speaking, this American would be really happy to let you have curling, <laughs> like forever in perpetuity. You guys can keep that. Yeah. Like, well, you say that, but you kicked our asses, so that's really annoying. Yeah, I, curling. You know? Genuinely, if we won gold in curling and men and women's ice hockey, I can't believe I'm saying ice hockey, hockey, uh, then I would still say the Olympics is a success. But because we've lost the women's gold and the curling, both men and women, I just think it's a failure, even though we're third in the medal table. It's a complete failure. Total failure. Them's the breaks, man. I was watching a little bit of the curling uh, the other night, mm. in the middle of the night. You just uh, dissed curling, and now you're yeah, admitted well, to watching it. Yeah, well, I wasn't. It was against my will. Okay, I was actually in London, um, visiting a friend, and this friend is obsessed with the Winter Olympics and Good. watches it. She's this also a is... night owl and just watches it like all night long. I like this friend. I don't know her, but I like her. So she was really, she's really into the short track. It's brilliant. Uh, skating. Yeah, you know my favorite thing. Sorry. Go on. No. My favorite thing about the short track speed skating is. Watching Elise Christie cry. Every time she crashes, I just, I don't know what it is. I get joy from it. Really? Yeah. And what? it makes me laugh is she hysterically. Canadian? No, she's British. Oh, she's British. So people that are listening to this will be upset. Yeah, that, that's pretty dark, Rob. It's awesome. It's wow. fantastic. She's so horrible. The thing is, she's awful. She's a crier, and I can't deal with criers. I can't. If you're, a, if you're I almost said professional, these are amateur sports people, but if you are doing a sport for your life and your livelihood, you have to understand that losing is a part of that sport, especially in short track speed skating, which is 
you know, it's like roller it's derby on ice. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. You can fall off in, at any moment. And for her to, you know, every time she loses, but not only that, but every time she falls, she takes someone down with her as well. And she blubs about herself. And they did this big thing on BBC Sport about, at the beginning, showing her trophy case and how she's got the world, because she's the world champion at the moment. Uh-huh. And she's showing all her world championship medals. And she's left this big bare space with nothing in it. And uh, the interviewer asked, what's that for? And she said, oh, that's for my Olympic medals. Yeah, wow. exactly. She's awful. She's awful. You know what the most brilliant thing about it was? Is that when she had her cr- first crash, she's crying about it and everything. Just after they interviewed her, they interviewed the GB women's curling person. Mm. And they had just had some, they went out, they got lost in some controversy. You're already shaking your head. Yeah, so sorry. You said curling about? and I just kind of went to my, my happy place yeah. in my head. But she was awesome. She was just like, well, you know, that's a, that hap- shit happens. And you're like, that's what you're supposed to say. And it's like, hey, you know, they knocked me down. Fuck off, Elise Christie. I have no time for her. I'm, I like watching the skiing. We've got that With Downhill. What's, what's her name? She oh, she, she didn't do well. She didn't do well? Mm-mm. See, this is like me catching up on the Olympics because yeah. I keep meaning to watch it. And no, she was a complete... I think she, oh, I don't think she Michaela won. Schifrin, I don't right. think she won a single medal. Oh, what a bummer! No, it's not a bummer because she's annoying as well. I don't know. I read a really good profile of her in the New Yorker. She of course, it's in right. the New Yorker. This is yeah. how I interact with the, the world. Have you seen the video? Of, oh God, the video stuff they did of her beforehand. She was strumming a guitar and singing country music and stuff. I'm just like, you know what? Fuck off. What's wrong with country music, Rob? Literally everything. Oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that this was. But this podcast has a <laughs> but no not good country. country. No, 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 definitely policy. not. We're on the same page as far as okay. country comes. Like Hank Williams, yeah, great. Ka- Patsy Cline, Patsy Cline, wonderful. Tammy Wynette, yeah, totally. Yeah, Willie she's Nelson. like singing like new country. Oh uh, yeah, I don't have that much time for new country, but I'm not snobbish about it. You know, what I, I mean? am definitely. I can't deal. Really? There's there's only two. I bet that's like all they play on the radio where you're from. Yes. Yeah. No, do you know what's weird about it? A small town, southern Alberta. They played two things when I was growing up. They played uh, country music, bad country, like Garth Brooks-style yeah. stuff, and metal. Ah, well, that explains it. Yeah. So that's why I'm a metalhead, but I'm not going to talk too much about that. <laughs> Please don't, Rob. Please don't. <laughs> I won't. Um, right. You wanted to talk about some stuff. I did. Yeah, you wanted to talk about writing communities. I wanted and, to talk about writing communities. And I, I just, all I wrote, I've got notes here, and all I wrote down for myself is, I will defer to you on this one. Okay. Because I am a bad member of the writing community in this city. Rob. I don't go to anything, and... No, that's that's a lie. That but, is an absolute lie. Okay, I go to some things, but you very First rarely. of all, you do this podcast. Yeah, that's... Which oh, is yeah. Per- I guess that counts, doesn't it? Performing service for the writers of <laughs> service, the community. Service, oh God, I feel it sorry is. for... It is, come on. Right, okay. Um... You also take part in a writer's group? I do. Very long running and I think successful yeah. writer's group. So you do go to events, even though you say you don't, you do. Not often, though. You were there singing Christmas carols at the oh, Real I Story did. About Language fun. First Draft Spectacular? Yeah. Yes. So, so yes, I'm saying don't do yourself down. You are a productive member of the writing community. Okay. Not as productive as me, though. No. Because, like, you know. Who is? Really. Yeah. You got fingers in all pies. Well, I've taken them out of most of those pies. Like, because that was, you know, too many fingers. Too, too many, many pies. pies. Yeah, it was It was a mess, man. <laughs> it was a mess. And you know, I don't even like pie. <laughs> what? No, I like pie. I was going to say, come on, mate. I do like pie. Who doesn't like pie? That would just be weird. Yes. Um, 
But no, I was thinking about writing communities. It sounds so lame uh, when you put it that way. But I was thinking about what a good city this is to be a writer in. Mm -hmm. um, because I've had occasion recently to just be be thankful, I guess, for all the stuff going on and how it's supported me. Because, you know, I've, we were talking before about how my own writing has changed kind of genres and tracks and I've gotten in over the last, you know, several years. I met you at the Speculative Fiction Writing Group and I'm not, I haven't written that kind of stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm interested in, in, I guess, more experimental writing. And there are, lo and behold, there's, you know, this great poetry group that I can go to where I can sit around and talk about poetry with people. There are so many events and so many different nights. It's just, and there also, the thing I think that's great about living here is you can do it yourself. You don't have to do an MA. You don't have to do a doctorate. You don't have to do any kind of kind of structured writing education thing. Mm -hmm. You can just do it all yourself. Yeah, that option is also there, the whole MA thing. I mean, Spain. it is, but I think that like people, I guess if people want to be writers, I think that they're kind of channeled towards that MA thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I want people to know is you totally don't have to do that. Yeah. You can make your own MA, essentially. Yeah. Um, through, you know, reading really deeply on your own. That's something people don't do, I think, a lot of the time. And actually, that's a really important part of becoming a better writer. Definitely. Actually that's just, the most important part of just, it. Said. And, you know, not just reading a book, but reading it critically and actively and thinking about what is happening, you know, in the book or the poem mm -hmm. or the essay or whatever it is you're reading, the story. Um, and then, you know, like trying to do something with that in your own work. So that's one, you know, that's stuff that you can do on your own. Um, setting up a writing group or exchanging work with someone, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. which is something, I've, I'm not part of a writing group right now. I work with two writers, who, both of whom I think you've had on your podcast. I mean, I think that for me, exchanging work one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. with someone who gets your writing and who knows how to give helpful feedback is really great. But yep. it took me a long time to get to that point. Yeah. Um, my first experience when I wanted to start writing, you know, this was back in like 2004 or 5, something like that, uh, was this writer's group that was in South Manchester. I can't remember exactly where it was, Didsbury somewhere. Um, and it was one of the few that was sort of publicly known about, and it was open to the public. That's always a mistake. Oh, my God. And so I'd never been, I'd never mm -hmm. really done creative writing before. I'd never come to a writing group. I Let me guess. Worked. Full of old people. Well, no, not just, I mean, there were some older people there. It wasn't full of old people. It was full of assholes, basically. Yeah, old assholes. They weren't old assholes, but they were people who didn't know, I don't think they would know good writing if it came up and bit them Punched on the them ass. Punched in the face, yeah. And... They were very opinionated about yep. what they thought was good. They're very prescriptive. It was run by a couple of very powerful male personalities who mm -hmm. kind of like lorded it over the rest of them. Um, and, you know, I, like all the other schmucks, was there kind of going, oh, well, gee, I don't know if my writing's any good. I guess I'll take it to this yeah. writing group. Yep. And that's terrible. If that's your first experience, thank God. I, it could have just turned me off forever. Yep. Because I was... Even then, writing weird stuff, 
you know, I was writing kind of, I guess, weird fiction. Yeah. And they obviously didn't know. I pr- it was terrible, for one thing, because yeah. I just started writing. And it also just wasn't, didn't fit what they expected to see. So yeah. it could have really just turned me off forever. I, think I had a similar experience. Really? Yeah. And I think I joined this writing club. I say joined. I went once in Nottingham. And uh, it was open to the public and it had the, the, the shittest website. And that, I mean, they've all got shit websites. Yeah. But I, w- I showed up and I, it was, I was the youngest person there by, I mean, like, significantly. There was, it was about 50 people there as well. well yeah, there in were a, so many in people. A, in a kind of, in, in this community center. Yeah. No, it was like, a, there was a stage and oh, people read. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, and I thought, that's even worse. And I thought, well, this is all right. But, um, and then I suddenly thought... How many people are reading today? Have they? And then they. I realized, they said, "Who's got something to present?" And everyone put their hands up. And I thought, "Is everyone going to read?" And I listened to the first couple and just went, "It's not for me." And were they giving feedback on it? Yeah, yeah. But was it? It, There was two people. They got through two people. Yeah. Out of whatever it was, fifty. Yeah. Well, that's what it was at the group that I went to. Everyone was desperate to read their stuff and share it and have mm. it feedbacked but the people who were writing you know were just starting out for the most part and weren't very good and the people who were giving feedback also <laughs> you know weren't really doing anything useful the only thing that could come of that situation is either someone getting the wrong impression that what they've written is great i mean even if it was genuinely great and if there was yeah. talent there learning about it in that way can't really give you anything constructive, you know? Um, and But no, more likely what happens is you get completely turned off, mm. you know? So I guess I would say follow your instincts. If you feel like you're not getting, what I wish, you, want. you know, speaking to my, my past self here, <laughs> if, if a writing workshop or a writing group has a bad vibe for you, don't go back, yeah. you know? Oh, my I, God. Do you know what I, I would say? I would say go... And a couple times and feel out who the peop- the good ones are and then pinch them. Well, that's what you did. That's what I did. <laughs> well, I say that. I'm, that I, by the way, I should say, I'm not saying that this Manchester Speculative Fiction group that I pinched them from is not good. It was just the, the thing that you created. Um, but I created it and then left. And then left, yeah. Promptly. Decided to have a couple kids, yeah. selfishly. And, uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it just depends on what you want. Well, I mean, I think that... I, the reason I did that, yeah. I should, I suppose I should clarify this before people go, oh, sorry. Because the Manchester Scientific, the Speculative Fiction Group is still very live, and it's good, if yeah. that's your sort of thing. If you want to, to write speculative fiction, that's probably the best one yeah. in Manchester. By, yeah, by, a, well by a long way. Yeah. And it's well run, and it's got Graham Shimon in it. Yep. And he's had uh, a couple of books published, I think. He seems like a sound guy, and he seems like he definitely knows what he's doing. So, anyway, that's one thing you can do is set up your own writing group with a few like-minded people that you meet at a reading or at an open mic night or whatever. Uh, I think if you find someone whose work you like and they're interested in doing the same kind of stuff that you're doing, which I think is actually kind of important, you know, mm-hmm. If do you? I, I think do. the opposite of that. Well, I actually also once uh, went to one writing group called Northern Lights um, 
for a session, and they're lovely people. That was Jen's, wasn't it? Jen was in it for a little while, but I, I don't think that she. Yeah, several people were have been in it over the years. Okay. Um, and I was writing essays at that time, and everyone else was writing fiction. fiction. Yeah. And even though they were lovely, it was just pretty clear to me that like, it it wouldn't be useful for either of us mm. for me to keep going. Yeah. I also think that you don't want people, I'm just going to completely undermine my own argument, but if you have too many people that write the same thing, it's hard to get good criticism, I think, because there's not, I like it whenever someone says in a, in a writing group, this is not my thing, but I like this bit. I think that's quite valuable. Mm. Um, whereas I also think that people who are, familiar with the trope and who are, are a lot more forgiving of a lot of crap. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I like being in a group with people who it is there. You're all doing the same thing. Yeah. Like if and, you're talking fiction and nonfiction, that's yeah. two, different, two completely different things. But if you're talking like everybody writes science fiction or everybody writes, yeah. you know, even literary fiction, whatever that is, um, or whatever. Yeah. I, think it's, I, I think it's good to have a mix. Yeah, I mean, I think... Maybe a mix genre-wise, but not yeah. form-wise. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yeah. Poetry. Says you. You've got... Jen Ashworth is, writes fiction. You write creative nonfiction. No, she's writing essays. And Tanya writes Jen's, short stories. No, they don't. You, they, I don't think any writer that I'm, I'm hemming people interested in, in working with... Right is married to any particular form. Of course, Jen, yes. Jen's writing a yes. book of essays. That's right. Tanya is also writing nonfiction. Is she? Yep, she is. Why? Why not? Because oh. it's awesome. I like her other stuff better. That's Well, fiction. she's still writing poetry. Yeah. But she's experimenting. Do you know she doesn't believe she's a poet? <laughs> yeah, well, two collections of poetry later. She's obviously a very, very talented writer who is interested in working across different forms. Mm -hmm. Like most of the interesting writers I know. Yeah. You know? I think anybody who writes prose poetry writes across different forms, just in that alone, really. Yeah. I yeah. mean... Like, I, don't, I still don't even know what that is. But Tanya seems to be quite good at it. It's just poetry without line breaks. That's all. Yeah, but... Okay. <laughs> but couldn't, it, couldn't you just say that that's fiction? No. Well written? No. Okay. Because there's no narrative in the same way that there is in fiction. Well, then it's poetry. Yeah, it's prose poetry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, what else do you want to talk about? I don't know. I mean, I think that... Have we exhausted the topic of writing communities? No. no? We can talk about that more if you like. <laughs> Rob's like, oh my God, okay. You know, was, How does I, a person start their own writing group then? You meet writers. Yeah, uh, that's make easy, contact easily with them, said. And invite them to exchange work with you. So you meet writers. You go to the nights. Yeah. You meet writers there. You hear someone whose work you love, you get to talking with mm -hmm. them, um, you, you know, get to know them. Eventually, you might say, hey, yeah. we, should, we should work on stuff together. Would you be interested in that? Yeah. You what, know? What you don't do is email someone cold. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think it's, when I say, so all of this kind of means you have to be in an actual physical community where you're going to be meeting other writers mm -hmm. and listening to their stuff. It's and hard you, if you're not, if you're off on your own somewhere. You can yeah. still do it via Twitter and social media. Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit longer. Maybe it's a little bit different. But those 
social media is amazing for. Yep. I mean, I and actually, I think it's I think it's a necessity if you don't live in a big urban center as well, isn't it? Yeah, but like last night, I and I got together with a woman called Joanna Welsh, who is an author. Yes. Um, who, I know who she is. Right. So she is an amazing writer who uh, I've been like we've kind of known each other for mm-hmm. a while on Twitter. Um, and or I've known she does read women, which is really mm-hmm. great. Um, so you kind of already know a little bit about someone when you meet them, and then it just makes it easier to kind of like, you know, start talking about writing. Yeah, and it's 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 a nice thing, you know. But Twitter has been amazing for me in terms of finding out about writers because if if I like someone's writing, I want to keep reading it. You know, mm-hmm. I want to find out what when they publish a piece or a story, I want to read it. So, and, you know, I really think also, Jen is really big on this, but if you read something that you enjoy, you know, tell the writer on social media or just email them and say how much you liked it because it's so great. Especially if it's a, you know, if a smaller, I say smaller writer, what the hell does that mean? A more emerging writer. More emerging writer, that's the that's a better phrase but yeah because they they're more likely to especially if someone that lives around where you live as well yeah I mean I've got I when I published essays before I've got emails from people who lived halfway across the world hmm. telling me how much they love them great and you know that's I mean it's only happened a few times it's not like I have you know yeah. scores of these but it's the it's the best feeling ever you know, it, it just validates. Talk about validation. Right? Mm-hmm. That really, that's enough. Well, I mean, it doesn't pay you, mm. <laughs> but it's. I mean, I guess it depends what you want from your I, writing. Yeah, I think if I got a couple people ones and twos from it doesn't matter where they're from, I'd be just like, meh, it's all right. But that's. I think that's the difference. I'm just a. I always think that Listen, what I'm doing what? is shit. I don't believe that because you know, I know that when people have talked about, for example, how much they enjoy the podcast mm-hmm. from out of the blue, it's you weird. Get totally excited about it. I do, and it's, it's really odd. It's really strange. I, I still can't get used to it. People coming up to me and saying that it's really odd. But doing a podcast is another thing. Like mm. that's a great thing to do. You know, is it? This is a bit indulgent. Now we're talking about how great the podcast is on the podcast. All right, the podcast sucks. It does Let's suck. Let's move it's on. Fucking wank. Why don't yeah. you just turn off now? Yeah, sorry. Listen. Um, this is who are we kidding? Yeah, that's uh, a joke. Yep. I so feel better now. I feel better when it's. They, I don't. I can't deal with all the know. all the earnestness. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm. I'm I have a hard time with it. You need to. I need to dial down the earnestness. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's my role here, Rob. You know, I'm the <laughs> earnest, happy, like. Positive and the one misanthrope, and you're the curmudgeonly dick. I I think the curmudgeonly dick that's a bit strong, but yeah, (laughs) I I know what you mean. But I don't know, I just feel like if if I'm getting too many nice things said about everything, I just feel like it's I don't know, it's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, you're you're strange, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I don't like positive feedback. I I think I'm a British person at heart. Yeah, no, I'm 100% American. Yeah, yes. Positive reinforcement. Oh, fuck. When you when the curling fans were challenging USA, I wanted to kill myself. Actually, that would make me want to kill myself, too, because that stuff is going down like a ton of bricks right now in, yeah, in the world. Yeah. After Mr. America first. Yeah. Jesus. 
It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. I, we can't talk about it. No, no. Okay, we're not going there. We're not it's, going it's there. It's not a political nope. podcast. Uh, Move away. And it's, the funny thing is, and I'm, I've mentioned this a hundred times, whenever anything in politics comes up, we lose listeners. Okay, we're not going there. But okay. do you, what are you reading? I heard Did you, you were reading read? something really good. Yeah. That uh, you were really excited I'm, about. I'm in two minds of this book. I'm, this is a book I'm reading for the podcast as well. Okay. Danny Denton's The Early King and the Kid in Yellow. It's excellent. The Early King and the Kid in Yellow? That's yeah. the title? Yeah. It's a long title. It is. I'm not sure about the title, to be honest. Yeah. It's very literal, because that's exactly what the book is about. Oh, really? Yeah. So who are, are these like gangland figures? My yes! Name? How did you know that? I, I'm, it was just a guess. Literally. How I in know the nothing hell about it. did you know that? That's exactly what they are. Well, he's Irish, right? <laughs> Wow, hello, Ms. Assumption. <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't know. There's, I think I'm thinking of that Kevin Barry book, which I just read not so long ago, mm. City of Bohan, mm-hmm. um, which I loved, by yeah. the way. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, and also Lisa McInerney's The Blood Miracles. Why are Irish writers so bloody good? It's annoying. Yeah, we're not going to answer that one. No, basically, I'm writing uh, for this bloody novel for the last 10 years post-apocalyptic fiction, I'm reading his novel now, and it's basically doing everything that I wanted mine to do. Like, it's just so good. Well, that must be frustrating. It is, massively. Well, I, see, I feel that way every time I read something. Yeah. I go, every, every, time, every time I read something good, I, I, I love reading something terrible, because then I go, oh, I, I could, could do better this. than that. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when I read something that's really good, it's... It. So who published this book? Oh, it's a big publisher. Granta. Oh. Yeah, see? Yeah. Validation. But Granta, by the way, is not a big publisher. It's a big name yeah. in literary publishing, Yeah. but it's not a big publisher. Which is interesting because if you look at the cover of this book, when I first got it sent to me, I thought, this is a very genre book because it's it's quite cartoony on the front. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not. Like, I mean, the, the prose is incredible. Like, he is... Uh, well, somewhat... come on. That's what they do. I know. That's what they do. See, that, I, it's... You don't like to put people in boxes, but the it's such Irish a good box, very, though. I know. I want to be in that box. I I would jump into that box right now. Yeah, <laughs> with so much abandon, yeah. I'd be like, yes. Yeah. The box of like magical Irish, insanely good prose writing. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. It's there's something in the water, and it's, it really winds me up. Um, but this, it's there's a few things in it. I'm not a huge fan of. But I'll talk to Danny about that, and who cares what I think? But I, the, the, his, who was it that um, the Times had a bit of a sniffy inter, uh, review of it, and um, I don't really agree with anything that's in the review, except for the fact. I don't really they agree said, with anything that's in the Times. Yeah, so there I know. You go. Um, but there's, they they said that he had like his sparkling turn of phrase. Is that what they how they? I know it sounds gross. It is. It is gross. It's not good the review in there but it's reviews are terrible I have a hard time describing why I like certain books and why this one is so good Um, other than saying the prose is amazing dialogue good Good dialogue oh man and the characters are great as well but the oh fuck I can't talk about fiction why it's good I just I have such a the word I'm struggling with words today Kate Feld (laughs) You're no writer, man. I know. You're no writer. That's why I've been writing the same book for 10 years. 
with you're struggling so, with the words. Yeah. The same words over and over for 10 years. That's right. Jeez. I basically just write the whole thing and then just go to thesaurus.com and run it through that. Seriously, man, you need to write a new book. I can't. Well, what's what's up with this one? It's, I don't know. It's almost, I think it's done. I just, I'm in a place where I just doubt every single thing I write. Okay, well. Whether it's good or not. Stop writing it then. I can't. Okay. So what, so what do I do with it then? Throw it away? No, don't throw it away. Send it out. Oh. You Listen, it's. You've got to... Have you ever heard the expression shit or get off the pot? Of course I have. Right. I like being on the pot. Yeah. Get off the pot. Okay. Someone else needs to use the bathroom. (laughs) This is a really gross analogy. (laughs) But I'm just saying, like, do you want this book to be published? Yes. Then you've been writing it for long enough. Send the fucker out. Yeah, but it won't be published. What? Who knows? Uh, it certainly won't be published if you never send it out. I know. If but you I think send it out, you every time I read it, I'll go through it again that. and go to do. I edit it again. I think, gosh, good thing I, I caught this this time. Okay, we need to talk about this. Okay. All right. Listen, I am also giving myself a little pep talk here. Okay. So, Kate and Rob, listen to me. Okay. I'm listening. Um, the problem is that you're a smart person. You're a good writer. I know, whatever, uh, deny it, but we have, to, we have to say that your writing is probably getting better all the time. I th- okay? can't get worse. Right. If you're thinking, if you're actively reading, if you're spending time talking about writing, if you are doing writing and editing, all of that stuff, your writing is getting better. But the problem is, every time you go back to that manuscript you've been working on for 10 years now, it's like a new writer. Mm. The new slightly better writer is looking at it oh, yeah. and going, yeah, no, no, this is shit. Mm-hmm. You've got to change all of this. And yeah. like, you know what? That can go on indefinitely. I know. Okay? Like, that's not going to stop. I know. You're not going to suddenly stop, reach like your ultimate writing high point. Okay? So the deal is you have got to, at some point, accept this is... As good as it's getting right now, and I'm I'm sending it out now. Okay? Yeah. Otherwise, th- you're going to be working on this novel until you're dead. I know. the The other thing is, I'm not. I'm afraid that I haven't got any other ideas. Yeah, I know. That's what really it is. You know. Yeah. That's why people cling on to these things. Like I know someone who's doing a doctorate, writing the same book that she wrote. You know, like it's and. You know what? You will get other ideas. Like, <laughs> you have to believe that. It's not like you're ever going to just go, oh man, I had one good idea. Like, you have to you're, kill your darlings, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this novel, maybe it will be published, maybe it won't. Maybe you needed to do it to learn, yeah. you know? But nothing else can come unless you make space for it to come. Yeah, I okay? think I was really. I, one of the, the biggest things was that I was really. It, the MA was a real setback. The how how that all panned out, where I didn't get I didn't get enough feedback, so I'm, I it kind of made me question whether it was good or not. Yeah, you know that. I so, wish you hadn't done it. I know. I wish I hadn't done it. This is part of the reason I choose to write short pieces, mm-hmm. one-offs. Okay, this is why I'm not working. But I think on that's a why a lot of people write short pieces, and I'm not good at short. I'm definitely, I, I definitely know. I'm, I'm not, not saying good at short I pieces. am good at short pieces, but what I do know about writing that is that that the freedom 
to finish one piece, send it out, and start another one, that's something I need. Because otherwise, like you, my writing is always changing and developing. And, you know, I look at something, I send it out six months later, I look at it and go, oh my God, who the hell wrote this? And it really feels like I had nothing to do with it. I know. You know, sometimes later, if particularly if it's been published, okay, talk about validation. I'll yeah. go back and be like, "Hey, this is good," <laughs> you know, and it's like a surprising yeah. thing. But honestly, like that's why I'm not part of the reason I'm not working on a novel mm-hmm. um, is because I want to be able to be agile and put into practice what I'm learning as soon as I'm learning it. So a collection of things is something I'm working towards publishing at some point. But, you know, like one story, by the time I got to the end of the story, I'd have to go back and just write it over, you know, and that mm-hmm. could just continue forever. Maybe you're just a flake. Maybe I'm just a flake. <laughs> yeah, maybe I am. Also, I get bored easily. Yeah. Yeah. I do not. I, I, get, I get entrenched. We're back to the bone. Yeah, back to the bone. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have to leave that bit in now because <laughs> we're referencing it now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think that's going to be at the beginning. I'm fickle. Yes. It's um, okay. Right. So we're now going to hear an interview with writer and lecturer Monique Rafi about her latest novel, The Tryst. Um, as she will explain, this is kind of her first foray, foray into the world of independent publishing. And there's a bit of an interesting story at the start about how that came about. Um, (laughs) Fair to say, her relationship with the, we're talking about big publishers, with her big publisher kind of fell apart, to say the least. And I I can say that because she is very open about that. And in fact, she started that conversation without much prodding from me. So I think I'm okay to say that. Also, I should also mention that poor Monique, was she was getting on the flu when she recorded this, so she's a bit croaky and a bit sniffy. And I, I think a cough or two even gets past my edit. But I know. Um, yes, so here's Monique. Listen. So I'm 52, mm-hmm. and I probably started writing this book when I was 37. That's a while. So that's a long time. And in that time, around about 2013, so that's four years ago, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, five It now. was sold to my then publisher, Simon & Schuster. And then the editor who bought it, I think she just got cold feet. You have to understand, I was at Simon & Schuster for about 12 years. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I survived three different editors. And the first editor was great, and he skipped off to Australia (laughs) to head Penguin or something. He was called Ben Ball. The second editor I had was a superstar, and she's now quite a famous editor, Francesca Main. Mm -hmm. I know her. Well, I know of her. Yeah, so she was my real big... We were like a dream team combination. Mm -hmm. And she took... You know, she was the one that bought White Woman on the Green Bicycle. She bought... Archipelago, um, and she bought, you know, so these are award-winning nominated books that Mm -hmm. 
that did very well for me and her and blah 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 and partly because of this relationship that we had so I had a very good time at Simon Schuster and I would say that I'm a pretty hardcore person to work with okay yeah I would happily say that I, okay what does that mean so difficult um, I'm not I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> describe myself as difficult but I would say to, say that um, strong willed I don't want an editor who doesn't know their shit gotcha okay so I mean it's like if you, if you don't if I know more than you then just go away okay you know? fair enough yep simple yep um, so I then inherited so Francesca got got headhunted to be the head of um, Picador, where she still is. And I, I won't name who my third editor was, but it, it was a really, really, really not... Uh, it, it was just... She, you weren't she, on the same she page. Just, yeah. She was uh, incredibly young, sort of, you know, under 20 sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just under 20. Maybe not under 20, but very young, very sweet, very nice. It just didn't work out. Do you think they assigned her to you because I think they uh, were, it's, a, it's a book of uh, No, I think they erotica. really tried hard to find someone okay. to work with me. And okay. they didn't necessarily <laughs> find that person. Right, okay. So this this e- e- editor and I, we worked on the end of a book. And to be fair, she bought another book of, our, of mine, which did quite well. And she worked really hard. You know, she wasn't a bad person. I'd never malign her. But it just, yeah. you know, it was like, I'm an old crocodile and she's <laughs> like, you know, Bo mm-hmm. Peep, you know, right. very sweet. And she was just, we just were not a good match. Fair enough. And then, um, so she did buy, she bought the tryst. But I just think she knew that it wasn't going to work between us. We just, it, it's not the right book for her. I think she got slightly railroaded into buying it. I think I, anyway, so the book got dropped. She bought it and then she probably went home and thought, oh my God, what have I... What am I doing? And then she sort of just basically said, you know what, I don't think this is going to work. And so she let, she sort of just basically, you know, she made up some excuse. There were some excuses as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And um, I think she just, there was also this idea, what if it wins the Bad Sex Award? What if it's too, you know, I don't know if I can handle it all. So the sure. show, so she basically de-bought it. She reversed the contract. How is that possible? It is possible. I don't know how it's possible. Did you get money for that? She let, they let me keep the money. Okay. Yeah. They let me keep the money. Okay. And they That's how they did away, it. Oh, right. Interesting. I mean, it wasn't a huge amount, but yeah. it was enough. It was okay. You know, I'm not giving that back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. we, so it was left high and dry. And then Isabel, my agent, Isabel Dixon, she says, oh, we'll just, uh, don't worry, we'll, I'll sell it. Mm-hmm. A load of people didn't want it. Um, too sexy, too too edgy, too sexy. Mm-hmm. I mean, a load. Of it, this book has been projected and dumped and rejected, and no one wanted it. And no one wants to publish something this explicit and mm. sexy. I don't know if you've read it. I have read it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, but I think there's erotica is a thing, though, isn't it? Aren't there loads of books? Well, that... it's literary erotica. I think it's easier to publish genre erotica. Okay. Because there's hasn't there isn't that stress of um, the literary critics with their knives waiting. Sure. Waiting to sort of ridicule and shred it up. Yeah. Mind you, the Bad Sex Awards are only look at, uh, and they look at literary fiction, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's but the Bad Sex Awards, they're not looking for, uh, like you would say that this is a work of erotica, wouldn't you? No. I no, you wouldn't. No. Oh, right, so I've said that three times and offended you. Bob okay. Standard has a lot of right. sex in it. Okay. I don't think it's a work of erotica. I think okay. it's a literary novel. Mm. It has lots. It's about, it's about, it's a valid subject. It's about celibacy within marriage. Sure. You know, how common is that? Mm. You know, did I know it was common? No. Yeah. 
what is the difference then between because I'm new to the whole thing basically I, I, I don't read a lot of sexy books or books that are you know of the erotica genre what would you say the difference is I think there's a difference between literature and genre fiction. Mm-hmm. And what is that? It's a, it's a big split, and it's a well-known split. And, and Do you think I, it's well-known? I think. Oh, God, yeah. I huge, think it's huge, argued huge. over, isn't Literary it? Literary fiction is dying. Literary mm. fiction is dying. There was a big thing, big report in the Arts Council did this huge thing recently, mm. saying that, you know, literary fiction, I mean, it's, it's dying, it, because it's difficult to read, because it's, it's focused on language, and it's focused on character, it's focused on place. Mm-hmm. A lot of literary fiction, sometimes lots of, nothing happens. I mean, if you look at the book, if you look at uh, the books that have won literary prizes, um, you know, these are clever books. Look at Naomi Alderman's recent book, you know, mm-hmm. What If the World Was Run By Women. That's an idea. It's not a thriller. It's clever. Mm-hmm. It's, think, it's a thinking book. It's a book of ideas. It's, sure. And, you know, literary fiction looks at language, which is what I'm going to be looking at in my class at six o'clock. Okay. tonight in saying to my students all of who want to write genre fiction I'm really sorry but language matters it mm-hmm. really matters knock all those bloody adverbs out yeah so you think that if it's considered genre fiction it's automatically not written well okay I think it te- genre fiction tends to follow um, certain conventions tropes and ideas mm-hmm. okay um, whether it's a Mills and Boone romantic uh, novel or crime thriller, or what these all these genres, steampunk fiction, mm-hmm. hard boiled blood. What about blood. science fiction? Um, science fiction. I don't know what the tropes are, but there's definitely, you know, um, ideas and expectations around most genres. And again, there are really great science fiction writers like China Mayville, like Ursula Le Guin. There's tons of people who George write. George Orwell. Huh? George yes, Orwell. George Orwell. Okay, so you would say slightly he's slightly crossover, and I think that I think a really happy uh, middle ground is is so many literary writers can't plot their way out of a paper bag. They literally have no idea about plot. They don't even care about plot. Yeah. Really. And so many genre writers are all plot, and so their characters are thin. And you know, the usual there's a usual problematic. And mm-hmm. literary writers could look at look to the genre writers. And take a page from their book mm-hmm. around plotting. Sure. And genre writers could look at literary writers and take a page from their book about around character. language, mm-hmm. the use of language sure. and characterization. So, to me, a really good book has got a bit of both in it. Okay. What, give me an example. Oh, well, you know, the cl- most classic example is Donna Tartt's Secret mm-hmm. History. Sure. Work of its genre, it's a crime thriller, and at the same time, it's a highly polished piece of art. Yeah. Yeah. And there are yeah. all sorts of, you know, China Mabel's great crossover. Mm-hmm. You know, really strong genre. You know, no, nothing. This is science fiction. Yeah. And yeah, it's brilliant, beautiful, wonderful, strong, strongly uh, written and realised and, and just just lives on the page. Sure. Know? What do you think about... Um, sorry to throw, I, I just throw these... I, I, these okay. are literally none of the you questions. Know, but you this, asked this me thing. whether you thought yeah. my book was uh, genre. No, it's not. Okay. Do you... It doesn't follow any of the, uh, of the usual erotica... Tropes and ideas, okay. um, sex games. Sure. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't. It just okay. doesn't. It's my story. It's a little story I've written. Okay. There's lots of sex in it. It's about sure. And it's about sex. It's about celibacy within marriage. So that obviously is why you. I've seen that you. I've read somewhere that you never considered a pseudonym. Uh, no, I did. Oh, I you did. did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, I did. so I did. why? Why didn't you? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't. 
Hang on. When I was publishing, so I published two sexy books. Sure. A memoir, which mm-hmm. is a hell of a lot more risky. And for that book, I wanted to put my name on the cover. Okay. For many reasons. The most obvious being is, is that it's, it's almost impossible to stay anonymous. It's almost impossible. And I've seen other women who've tried and they've, got, they've been horribly outed. Right. Nikki Gemmell, Zoe Margolis being two obvious examples, but there are, there are others. Kathleen M, Kathleen Millet, I don't know. That, that I, think, I think it's hard to uh, stay anonymous. But mm-hmm. also for me it's colluding with the shame. It's saying I'm ashamed of this, I better hide. Yeah. So I wanted to be out, naively so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it was a really, really right decision to make mm. then for me. You do say naively so, though. Does that mean that there's been a backlash or um, any consequences of it? I didn't quite know what being out really means mm-hmm. um, publicly. Because even though I'm using it in a sort of way that maybe a gay man or woman might use it and say, I came out mm-hmm. to my parents or I'm out. I mean, I think to be an out gay person who's a politician, for example, is a really, really incredibly brave, mm-hmm. really brave. And, as, you know, and almost anything, to be honest. But I, I'm not really, I'm not. I don't, I don't identify as gay. I don't know quite where I am on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But I sort of wanted to out myself as somebody who was a seeker, a sexual seeker, and was really trying to push the boundaries of my own confines. Mm-hmm. So, but even so, once you start walking into that ballpark, which has really, until recently, only been inhabited by the gender identity and gender ideas. So it's one thing to say you're gay. It's another thing to say, well, I'm, I don't know if I'm gay. I'm not gay. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I'm sexually active. And I'm actively, consciously, sexually, consciously, actively conscious. <laughs> wow. And okay. I'm middle-aged. Mm-hmm. I'm in my 40s. Well, I was then. And, and, that's, and so I wanted to be out about that and I think even that's quite naive to say mm-hmm. uh, oh I'm, I'm okay I can I can I confront that up I confront that whatever comes at me I'll be okay in fact I didn't get it hasn't been a massive international bestseller and it's mm-hmm. done well and it didn't ruin my career and here mm-hmm. I am in academia I'm yeah. still I'm teaching in academia yeah I didn't lose the respect of my peers I've, I sure lost a, a few friends over really it. Oh, yeah. Why? You, you lost friends over a book that you wrote? I think I've lost probably a friend or two of every book I've When read. you say you've lost... A, okay, do you mean like friends in the, the publishing industry or like friends' friends? Um, well, you have to see my memoir had, had, a, had a component of it being a breakup story. Yeah, I read about that. So, um, yeah, there were people who were allies and <sighs> friends of my ex right. who decided that I had entirely... Um, Betrayed, you know, betrayed him, basically. which yeah. I hadn't, because mm-hmm. I gave him the manuscript to look at, which mm. he forgot to look at because <laughs> he was too busy. Yeah. So, because um, that's like a sort of pricey of the book, and that's a whole other story about yeah. that article. Sorry. The article's an awful, not a good article. Mm. But um, so yeah, people have, you know, when a woman like Rachel Cusk or Julie Myerson, you know, says my children are too difficult, or I really 
hated my marriage or I don't like my children. And they say things that are that you sort of want to other people want to say that's too much. We don't need to hear it. Kind of goes against that. You're betraying your children or you're betraying your husband. And I think sometimes people look at, you know, these stories by women and the first people to to jump on as critics are the women. Mm Because it's too, because women telling their stories, you know, it's almost as if there's a certain amount of policing that goes on by other women. You know, it's a bit like, you know, don't, don't, don't wash your dirty, whatever it is, in public, mm-hmm. because there's dirty and dirty, and we don't want it to be too dirty, yeah. we don't want it to be too difficult. So do you think that maybe anything that kind of threatens their, the heteronormative ideal yeah. threatens them personally? And they take well, offense. I, think, I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm lumping different writers all mm-hmm. in one go. Yeah. But you know, you could say. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to start write, talking about other writers actually. Okay. But I think that I think that um, yeah, with my memoir, there was um, a certain amount of bravery, a certain amount of necessity. Um, I'm proud of it. Um, a man wrote to me in 2016. A very sweet text, it's the best piece of fan mail I've ever had, saying that he'd read my book, it changed his life, and he was getting married, because of me. Right. Isn't that amazing? For, because of the tryst, or because of no, your memoir? because of the, the memoir. Wow, that's interesting, because the memoir it so the talks memoir about your, the of, breakup of your marriage, yeah, doesn't but, it? but the memoir is kind of like the true version, and the tryst is the kind Fantasy. of fictionalised version of the memoir. Oh, right, okay. You know, Jeanette Winterston has done this thing. She did the novel, um, Oranges Aren't the Only Fruit. Mm -hmm. And then many, many, many years later, and after, I suspect, lots of therapy, (laughs) and uh, she wrote Why Be Normal, you know, her memoir. Right. Well, I kind of have done the same thing, except the other way around. Right. I wrote the memoir seven years ago, and now I've written The Tryst, but The Tryst I started when I was 37 or something. Yeah. And, the tri- and what I wanted to say about the genesis of the tryst is, is that I was in this um, sort of sexually dis- sexually n- not active relationship with somebody I felt very, very passionate about, mm-hmm. which is a terrible dilemma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was 37, so some people would say, well, that's quite late in life. And I look back and think, God, I was still quite young. Yeah. And um, and I I um, I didn't really know what to do about it. I didn't know what to say about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know what was wrong, and it was really distressing. Mm-hmm. And then it broke. You know, he you got that terrible so letter, broke, basically. Yeah. And then I went. You know, but I started writing it then, and so so your memoir or the tryst? The, the, the tryst, tryst, right? Okay. I started writing the tryst first. Mm-hmm. Years later. I wrote the memoir. I see what you mean. So you've done the... I see what you mean now. But I've been tinkering with the tryst for years and years Mm -hmm. and years. And I've been writing other novels and publishing other novels. Yeah. And then the memoir happened. And I knew I had the tryst. And I knew it was good. I knew... I liked it. Mm -hmm. I knew it was good. I had... I had... I was committed to it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I showed it to my agent and we worked on it. We thought about it. Yeah. We sold it and sold it twice. So... So the tryst and the memoir are kind of... The same story in different registers. Right. You know, one is the rock opera and one is the, <laughs> you know, this, this. One is the this and one is that. They go together, they go together and they're, um, and I'm really proud of them. Mm. 
Well, I've not read the memoir, but I wish I had now. <laughs> I suppose we should talk more about the book. We've talked quite a little about you. Okay. The one thing that intrigues me, it's kind of a fairy tale. Yeah, which makes it more interesting, doesn't it? More yeah. Readable? Well, more readable, but also... God, it's hot. I wonder if it's... Because the, um, the woman that... Uh, because she's actually not... Now, maybe I've misread this as well. Yeah, she's not. She's not human. Yeah. Right, so that's a different, so that puts so, another spin on this. Is that, does that mean, because she's not human, does that make it easier to write about sex? Like a, more like deviant sexual behavior? No. Okay. No. End of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> not really. I'm, okay, I'm happy so why, why, was she, why wasn't she human? Well, she's partially a figment of Jane's imagination. Somewhere in the book. I think I say she dreamt Lila up. Mm-hmm. So the tryst, the, the title of the tryst is something to do with the tryst they all have. Mm-hmm. And that Jane had been fantasizing, you know, dreaming these men up. Yeah. And in the process of dreaming these men up, she dreamt her own libido, her right. own dark erotic. Yeah. So there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a split going on um, in Jane between okay. her Janeness, which is a kind of unevolved uh, sexuality, which I really, really know. I used to be a Jane. Mm-hmm. I used to be Jane. You know, many women know Jane, and sure. you know, you don't need to evolve. You find yourself a partner, and you just yeah, whatever's going. If you have a nice enough time, that's enough. Yeah, you know. So I was, I was definitely a sort of very un evolved sexual creature myself Mm -hmm. but there was always something kind of like you know there was something there was more there was definitely more that was that wanted uh to be developed right and that's and that's a more dark erotic impulse and i didn't want to be a wife i didn't want to be so kind of the split is something that i know well where there's the um um, good Monique, and then there was the Monique <laughs> who, well, I've never been married and I don't have children, mm-hmm. so sure. Lila won, you know, in my split I had my dark impulses to be an author, to live my own life, to mm-hmm. travel, have adventures, and you know, I don't even, I, I keep plants, mm-hmm. and I can just about keep my plants alive mm-hmm. so, um, and I'm very proud <laughs> of the fact that I can sure. keep a few plants alive but, um I, where am I going with this? So, so Lila is is so somewhere along the line. I understood because I did meet a woman who was very short, under five foot, mm-hmm. with flamy red hair, with this crazy American pointy life. ears, huh? <laughs> pointed ears. She didn't have pointy ears, but mm-hmm. she did have pointy teeth, and yeah. she was the kind of woman who would like sit with her legs open and just sort of like you thought her her clothes would just fly off and just burn off. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just wild. You know, yeah. she was just this kind of American and just. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, <laughs> fucking hell, you know, mm-hmm. you're amazing. You know, you are really amazing. Yeah. I don't want to leave the table. I don't want to leave my boyfriend alone here with you. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't know what will happen when I come back. Come back. Yeah. So um, the fact that Jane and does. I, and also, I, it's interesting because I'm only just thinking this one through, but, I'm, and I'm going to generalize in my, in a heteronormative way. But in my life, I have definitely been in many, many, many situations where there's been men and women 
hanging out together. And it's happened quite recently as well. And men are kind of quite innocent. It's kind of like innocent bystanders to what is happening between the women. What are the, what's the body language and what, what are the interconnectedness? And, and quite often, it happened quite recently, um, there's, you know, a bit of a wolf in the room or, you know, a bit of a mm-hmm. big cat in the room in terms sure. of the feminine. And, um, <laughs> and she, can, she can just magnetise all the sexual energy of everyone in the room I've never really seen too many men do it, although I wouldn't say they can't. Mm-hmm. But I've seen so many women, I've had friends like this, I've known women like this, possibly even been someone like this in the past, who can be sexually, like, you know, very strong mm-hmm. in their energy, or not necessarily alpha strong, mm-hmm. and kind of somehow fuck up a pretty good, a, a nice evening. Sure. Well, fuck up. I mean, have you met? Do you know I think you? men can do that quite well. I think there's a. It depends on. Uh, but I, I think the difference is probably that with the women, it's more likely to be genuine. With men, a lot of times it's you know it's like you say the alpha thing where it's just you know performance. That's been my uh, okay. experience anyway. So if the, if there's a guy yeah. that's I don't know if it's just confidence or whatever he you know somebody that or just be people that are you know, extremely good looking and they know it. Uh, who walk into a room and you know just kind of good looking or magnet have sex yeah. appeal a lot a lot of sex appeal they can just fuck things up yeah. but everybody else sure <laughs> they can turn parties into orgies they can turn small <laughs> gatherings into wow I've not been to a party like drunken, that drunken yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> anyway so yeah. Lila so this woman I met was a bit like her sure. and um, sort of compelling and repelling and then then. I was, re- and then I started to read about Lilith, and mm-hmm. it all started to work that together. Was what I was going to ask you. This whole story of Lilith, the first wife, who was rejected. Of Adam. Yeah, who was rejected because she refused to lay down underneath Adam, mm-hmm. and she was banished to the desert, where she actually just propagated and became more. And there became millions of them, these mm-hmm. Liliths, and she was just this fury, this this uh, shedding, this kind of you know angry spirit. And, you know, uh, the Kabbalah talks about her, Jewish mythology talks about her. People have amulets to guard against Lilith. She's a mm-hmm. succubus. She'll suck. Yeah. She sucks men dry. She'll strangle your babies. She'll, you know, she's mm-hmm. a she-devil, she you know. And um, so I just wanted to, so for me, it st- so my own personal story started to suddenly gather um, a, a magical element and a mythical em- element and something... I suddenly thought, oh, now I've got something I'm happier to work with and I yeah. feel less ashamed about. That's just about me and my story. And then maybe other thing, this is now something everybody's going to want to read. This is more universal. This is something I can pull together more if I work with the story, mm-hmm. which, of course, is the foundation of Judeo-Christian myth, mm-hmm. um, Split and um, Jane's Split, my Split and how split I was. And yeah. hopefully in the end we get a less a more integrated Jane really it's Jane's story really yeah that's what I thought Um, the one thing that before I spoke to you now is I could never understand why Jane would willingly invite Lilith into the Mm. house but now that you've been talking about that I suppose it makes 
bit more sense. Although I'm still not sure why why she would do that. That was one of the things. Well, initially, in the, did, in, the, in, the early, in the early in the early pages, she goes down to the ladies' bathroom. Yeah, and she's, and she's attracted to her as in the well, mirror. Yeah. yeah, and she's saying, you know, why don't you want to have sex with your husband? Mm-hmm. And you know, and in that moment, she has a kind of breakthrough thought. And she says, maybe I can get out of my marriage. Mm. Why don't I lure, lure yeah. her home yeah. and uh, lure her in and then leave them to it? Mm-hmm. And I've got the excuse. You fucked somebody mm-hmm. else. Now I can go. Yeah. And I can have my other life. And yeah. I think that was her thinking that I'm going to use, use Lilith, yeah. Lila. And it's a triad. It's a story about how all three of them underestimate each other. Yeah. They all, you know, they all have a... A game. They're all mm-hmm. gaming. Yeah. And, and, and Who's the winner? I think Jane is. Yeah, I and do. I think, and I don't think I'm casting Lilith out. I think Lilith, the Lila character, was in extremis. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's, um, she's out of balance as well. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I always ask on this podcast is, because it's probably something that interests me more than anything, is how writers make their money, basically. Mm. Um... And I know you've got you you work at Manchester Metropolitan University. Mm-hmm. Do you see enough money from your books basically to get you by, or do you have to do other things? Is the is Manchester Metropolitan University something you enjoy doing, or is it something oh, that you I want do to do? Love teaching, yeah. right? Would I you love do? It here. Yeah, I like teaching. Okay, so that's interesting. Money. So when I was money, younger, I know it's crass, but that's me. No, no, no. It's just, this is a good question to answer. When I was younger, so I started writing in my thirties. Looking back, I mean, you know, I was living in squats, I was living in housing co-ops, I was living with friends, I ran an Arvon centre for four years, they gave us a house. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to live with my mum, I was, uh, my ex-partner lived in a caravan. I mean, you know, when I was younger, my income and my outgoings were very low, mm-hmm. didn't have children. And I'd live anywhere. I'd live out of a suitcase. Mm -hmm. And I did live out of suitcases. It's not Mm -hmm. a question of would. I did. I lived with friends. I lived in their spare room. I lived... You you name it. I just had over a decade of of living Mm hand-to-mouth. Because there was always this big project, which was, you know, this life I wanted to live. It was like a payoff. Sure. If I want to do this, don't complain. You know. there's There's no trust fund or there's no second income and there's no nothing yeah. there's nothing behind me at all to support me in, in my endeavours so, yeah. but, but all I could say is, is that when I was younger I had I, like, all the bases were loaded on being an author yeah. and I did everything it took to do it Right. and money and financial instability was not something that I was going to complain about Hmm. And I did what it took. So needs must. Yeah. So again, rough living, sure. uh, hand-to-mouth existence for a long period of time. Yeah. Like many famous writers, we all know. And I, you know, when I met my ex-partner of my thirties. I mean, he was living rough in a caravan in in a field. You know. <laughs> so I mean, he was a lot older than me. So, and then you know, we got a job running an Arvon Foundation called mm-hmm. uh, Center, and and we, we lived in a in a cottage together that, sure. was like, that was like paradise so it wasn't until and then it wasn't so only five years ago I managed to get my toe on the ladder and get a mortgage 
Because they want proof of well, income, the don't is, they? At some point in my career, I did quite well. And all of a sudden, there was good money coming in from various book deals and audio deals and translation rights, and things were going quite well. And then I was like, yay, you know, something's, I, it, it all, it's worked. Yeah, look what happened. Mm-hmm. But I'm, unfortunately, I'm not very good with money, so <laughs> I didn't save any. I managed to find myself uh, a flat in a housing association. And I'm now, last five years, I, um, I have two or three different incomes. Mm-hmm. So I teach here mm-hmm. at Manchester Met, and I have a tenant who I rent my, one of my rooms out to. I'm a landlady. I freelance. I do a hell of a lot of teaching, a hell of a lot of other stuff. And I have a book uh, out and a book being currently being sold. So I find I find the time to do it, but I've never. I mean, it has definitely. And I look at I look at people who had a life, you know, normal life, and had children. I've got friends who've had children. I said, you spent 15 years bringing up a family. And I spent 15 years writing my books. And that's where my energy went. Yeah, interesting. And it's not comparable. And also, I don't want to ever say, you know, oh, I never had children. It's like, no, that's not the way to look at it all. You can't say, you know, I've done this amazing thing. I did a a 10-year review recently um, at the end of last year. And I looked back and I went, well, I managed to publish... A lot of books, like five books in ten years, and I've also got a lot of debt because of all the gambling and the wheeling and the <laughs> dealing and the you know using credit in a way that other people wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure that your books got written, or just because of well, fun because as well. It's like you know, this the, it, the the bank of the bank of Tesco Bank, you mm-hmm. know, the bank of <laughs> somebody introduced me to interest-free credit cards. Yeah. Like that. So, <laughs> oh, so it's not necessarily. It's. I mean, and it, I haven't made a pot of money out of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you no know, one does, do they? Um, one in a thousand do. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, many of many writers are working in academia. So well, you're in a good place now, though. I think is what I'm getting from that. I think I really like it here. Yeah. 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 Um, what are you writing now? Actually, I'm not... Oh, there's all sorts of ideas cooking. Oh, right. So you're not actually writing anything at this moment. Well, my agent is, is selling something. Okay. You can't talk about it? Um, I'd rather not. Okay. I'll, I'll talk about it when it sells. Okay. Um, Can you at least say if it's a... It's another magical real okay. type book uh, set in the Caribbean Okay. Um, about a mermaid, a woman who's... It's kind of another book about women and jealousy and love. I love stories. There's quite a bit of sex in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and I'm thinking that after that, you know, when that sells, because it's currently under submission. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm quite interested in narcissism. Right. Okay. If that's interesting. I'd like to write a comic novel. Hmm. I'd like to write something really funny mm-hmm. and very tragic Yeah, <laughs> that we can all relate to. Yeah, that's something that, uh, I mean, comedy and tragedy go hand in hand, really, don't they? Yeah. You can't really have one without the other. I would well, early on in my, early on, like many, many years ago, like probably even 30 years ago, I, for a brief period of time, I ran a comedy club mm-hmm. with a friend who was uh, doing the round, the stand-up rounds, and it was called Storm in Kensal Rise. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of big comics come, and um, and I wanted to write comedy. I wanted to write comedy for TV. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I want to see your CV. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to see your CV. No. Yeah. 
I tried. I tried it when I was much younger, and again, not really, you know, a formed a formed writer. Mm-hmm. And I just love to write something really funny. I yeah. like to write something that makes would make people, you know, hurt. It's so funny. Oh right, okay. Well, well you know, I think I just something. I just think there's something something very relatable. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm just trying to. I'm just cooking really. Mm. Cooking ideas. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, that's all we have time for. Great. That, I thought that was great. Thank you very much, Monique. Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay. I'm sorry I called you a curmudgeon the dick. I am a curmudgeon the dick. That's damn. That, <laughs> I know, I think but that's dick's fine. a little strong. Eh, you know, yeah. I think it's warranted, frankly. <laughs> um, okay, so that was Monique Rafi, and um, we are have now got... Who we got coming up? Rosie Garland. Rosie Garland. Ooh, that reminds me. I brought you her book. Yay! So I'll give you that now. Oh, thanks. Uh, Rosie was lovely. I've already spoken to her. Spoiler alert. Um, Really enlightening, especially about writing process and stuff. Uh, So you should listen to that. We also talk about her band and the whole March Violets thing. Because Rob's a fangirl. A bit. (laughs) A bit. More than a bit. It's okay. We're all Rosie's fangirls. Yes. Like, in one way or another round. Yes. And then it'll be Danny Denton, and he will be great. Um, even if he's even if he's not very personable, just him reading his book will be great. But why are you insinuating that he's not personable? I have no idea. I've never met him. You see, I'm sure he is. Yeah, I'm sure he's a delight. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll find out. And, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully this is not putting pressure on him if he's actually listening to this to perform when he comes on the podcast. Yeah, I think we can we can assume he'll just be his normal personable self. Yeah. But that's a that's a good couple of podcasts coming up. Fucking a, right? Right. But, you know, I'm We're not messing around. This yeah. is great. Uh, I we are not messing around. Sorry, Kate. <laughs> Still pretending this is just nine. Anyway, that's enough talking. That's enough talking for now. Thank yeah. you, Rob. Yes, thank you for listening, listener. Bye. Bye.